0: One Week Season.
1: To the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we're going to be talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings Discord and Twitter, and today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. Guys, what's going on? Week one is in the books. How are we feeling?
2: I'm more excited for week two, you know, to make up for how week one went.
0: <laughs> yeah, same. Main slate didn't go well, but I did fine on all the other slates. I think I need to start playing all the small ones.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Main slate was the same thing for me. And I, I was kind of rushing this week, so I didn't really get in a bunch of uh, play on the other slates, but um, I'm usually actually pretty strong at the small slates as well. I just don't put nearly as much uh, focus into that. So it's actually something I'm working on this year because it's like, we should always if we have a strength, if we had have an edge, we should always be hammering that, um, kind of like Xandimir talks about with showdown slates. So, uh, all right. Any, any, uh, significant notes before we kind of jump into what we're going to be talking about today, like from, from your guys's last week,
2: uh, no crystal ball. So mm, nothing like that.
0: Um, Still crying about, uh, my Niners losing most for the year.
1: Oh, uh, dude, Jess, I was thinking about you, man. I was For like, real. oh, how horrible, unreal, unreal. <laughs> uh, all right, well, cool. As as mentioned, uh, we're gonna be talking about some of the top games. Uh, the field is likely gonna be focused on uh, the top couple and building around the top like one or two. But we know at OWS that we can find fantasy goodness in other places that the field may not be looking at. And this is especially true with us going into week two, um, people really strongly taking in what they saw in week one and kind of using that as a fact or, you know, what they think that to be. So the games that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be discussing these through this lens of, what the field expects to happen after week one and so how that's going to affect these games. And then also how we could potentially attack that or use that as an edge in our DFS play. The games we're going to look at today are Minnesota at Arizona, Tennessee at Seattle, New Orleans at Carolina. So, we will start here with Minnesota at Arizona. It's kind of an interesting spot after Arizona just smashed the Titans, uh, and then Minnesota, quote unquote, disappointed versus a perceived bad Bengals team. So, guys, let's kind of look at, you know a couple of things that I, I noted, uh, Lex, after going over your notes and just kind of my own personal, Uh, reflection. Minnesota has potential on defense with Zimmer and then the talent that they have. And so is that going to come together? And if so, can we expect that this week or what are we thinking?
2: Yeah, I think JM has talked about it over the last couple of years. Defenses like Mike Zimmer's, you know, that rely so much on communication typically come more into form as the season goes along. Um, they have much more talent this year. Like you were saying than last year, they got some guys back, added some cornerbacks, um, before last year, Minnesota typically been, you know, top 10, almost every single year in terms of like quarterback, you know, uh, passing yards and, and just team points allowed. So last year was kind of more of an aberration and they had some COVID stuff, some injuries. Uh, I think they actually performed better last week than probably most of the field will expect since he had three straight touchdown drives in like the middle of the game, including one that was like a 50 yard bomb touchdown. But other than that, they, um, they were averaging 3.1 yards per play on their other 46 plays. Like on every other drive Uh, they scored 27 in 70 minutes. So that's still, you know, that's, that's pretty good for that amount of time. They had to be on the field um, for that, you know, extra period. I think that I also, yeah, I did something where Kyler and Cliff have, the games that they've struggled a bit more have kind of come against those better defensive minds like uh, Staley last year or Sala or Bill Belichick. um, And Zimmer's definitely in that category. Those teams all were really good in terms of quarterback fantasy points allowed, um, which we kind of expect from Minnesota each year under Zimmer. Uh, So I definitely think there's some pass to them performing maybe better than the field expects, especially coming off a week that like Arizona just had where they scored 38 against Tennessee in three quarters and look unstoppable on offense.
1: Yeah. That's that, that you threw out, uh, with, yeah, kind of those like notable defenses and the Arizona offense versus those was really interesting to me. And then, like you said, you highlighted, the the high finishes for uh, Zimmer's defenses against QBs and like the low QB scores that they've allowed. So uh, definitely interesting. Jess, uh, thoughts here? Anything that the workbook is pointing to in regards to this specific
0: point? Uh, As far as defense goes, I'm kind of looking more at just like the the bigger picture than the workbook right now. I mean, we've got one weekend plus of all the last Mm -hmm. year's data, but I think Arizona is kind of built to to smash against this kind of defense because Zimmer wants to stop you with the run. He brought in those two run stuffers. Arizona doesn't really run on early down, so they're going to be throwing the whole game. He wants to get you into third and long and then let his scheme beat you. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Patrick Peterson's return to Arizona. Um, he other than the the clip Jetpack Galileo posted. He did really well in that game. Uh, <laughs> but then they've got Breland and Alexander who didn't play well. They got to step up. Uh, Breland can get pass interference calls against him, especially if uh nukes out there juking him a little bit. So I don't know. I, I think this is a game Arizona could possibly run away with, you know, home opener. You got them, their offense being a little bit better scheme wise than Minnesota is on defense. So i don't know we'll see
2: (laughs) yeah and i'll add to that saying like uh, what i said before was ways that it could fail but obviously vegas is still betting on this game being a high scoring game just where they've set the line and the team totals so even though you know i mentioned those things before vegas is on the spot right now in terms of you know high scoring affair kyler is typically crushed in games with the 50 point totals um i think the way i would play kyler in this is i think his ceiling is higher. If Minnesota is able to keep pace, like through the passing game, I think if it's a Dalvin Cook type game, I think that just limits how often Arizona can be on the field. Um, So that would probably move me away from him. But um, I think, like just said, it's definitely like it's still a smash spot. We still don't really know what Minnesota's defense is going to look like. Arizona's offense already looked better um, with having like a some quicker you know guys in there, like Rondale Moore for those screen passes that Cliff likes likes to run. Uh, So it's definitely. We're, what we're trying to do, right, is figure out different ways this game can go. Um, so, like either way, I think I think both things are interesting to keep in mind: the way Zimmer's defenses have historically performed, and then also, you know, kind of what we've seen from them recently, and then now going up against a pretty
0: elite offense. Yeah, and yeah that I, was, think second, uh, go, I think go the second. Sorry, I think the it. That Minnesota secondary does have a shot in this to to keep it close, and then if we do get Cook running. Uh, it, Minnesota could slow the game down. If they can defend the pass early, get Arizona into some long down and distance early uh, and then keep feeding cook and get him moving the ball. Then I, I can see how this can bring that total down from 50 down it to maybe like 45 or so.
1: Yeah. And that was going to be my comment. Basically like with what you were saying, Lex is y- you pretty much have to pick which way you're Building around this game, like at least on a given roster, and you can kind of hedge that. But uh, you, you know, you because of the way it's most likely to play out, it's probably going to be slower and a slugfest. If Minnesota can do what they want and they can slow down Arizona a little bit, but if Arizona is able to score, you're you know, there's no real reason to think that uh, the Vikings couldn't find a way to keep up with that somewhat. But with with that, I guess. Uh, the Arizona defense looked really good. Obviously they uh, just made Tannehill and that offense look kind of silly this past week. What are we reading into that?
2: Um, Yeah, I'll say uh, that Tennessee's offensive game plan was kind of a disaster last week. So it's, I wouldn't overreact too much to how that game looked like obviously they have talent on offense. So it was a surprise, but on paper, Arizona still has really significant issues on the back end. Uh, and hopefully we'd expect you know Minnesota to get the ball to their best guys better than Tennessee did in that game. Uh, so I don't know if I want to read too much into it. The only thing I will say is that Minnesota has definitely had some offensive line problems the last couple of years. Cousins takes a lot of sacks and uh, Chandler Jones and Co. could certainly wreck Minnesota's offense that way. The, the worst games that Minnesota performed in offensively last year, uh, they were getting destroyed on the offensive line by Indianapolis and by Tampa Bay those were the kind of the only two games where that three player rule didn't work. You know, the Minnesota rule where like one guy goes off just because their offense just could not get anything going with all the pressure. And that's certainly something that Arizona is capable of. I mean, they showed it last week, they picked on a kind of weaker offensive line and just went crazy on Tannehill. So that's a way I think it could also fail. Um, but I don't know how, I, I do think their secondary is probably a little bit overrated after last week's showing.
0: I think the secondary got bailed out by that pass rush. can't throw the ball if you're on the ground. Um, (laughs) And they were giving up all the targets were underneath. They were giving up points to to the slot receivers and stuff. So that Minnesota is going to probably want to throw to cook. They're going to throw to Osborne, maybe get Conklin involved. And then they're going to have to run Jefferson and Thielen underneath and then hope that they can get a run game going. So their play action actually works. They're not in second and 15 and, long down and distance so they can actually run that play action and get their, their main guys going too.
2: Yeah. I, I think that if you're playing, um, at least cousins as part of that offense, you're expecting it to be a really back and forth shootout. Like all of, I think it was 11 of his 12 games where he had 25 point upside. He, the games finished over 50 and like seven of the 12 were over 58. So he's really only viable in you know, big scoring shootouts. Um, I think I even had a stat where he was just barely even, you know, he had a lot of low attempt games in, um in games where Minnesota has controls just because that's what Zimmer wants to do. Last year was kind of more of an outlier just with how bad their defense was. Uh, yeah. And then the Minnesota rule, I think it's definitely in play because like, uh, like Jess was saying, Arizona forces it short. Like you could have one of those guys racking up a ton of catches. They break one play like Hopkins did on that touchdown and you know, they're going for a long score. Uh, So I, I think I'm more on the Minnesota skill players than cousins um, just because personally I'm, I might be looking more to this game being on the the slower end than the field expecting just because it might be more popular than I would like. Um, But I think all those paths are, are interesting to look at.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I guess with that, uh, just to kind of wrap up anything on the, Arizona side of the ball on their offense. Uh, What are we thinking based on uh, like wide receiver usage that we saw in week one? Uh, And then kind of like, I get really the, all the skill positions because the, and then like what the backfields looked like, what were those and how do we factor that into how we're approaching this spot?
0: Well, the Cardinals kind of evenly distributed those passes. we had, two guys with five targets with Kirk and Moore. green had six and pretty much did nothing with them. And then nuke made the most of his seven targets, got two touchdowns out of there. And then Kirk catching those bombs back in that little H position that they, they got him in, which is natural position. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I think Kirk is kind of like their little wild card. They're going to move him around and, and get those deep shots and Minnesota can get vulnerable to deep shots, especially if he's over there against Breland or Alexander during the game.
2: Yeah. Yeah. just, I was just going to add on, I was going to say Kirk was definitely the one getting the higher upside looks, even if he was on the field, less than green in that game. Um, and then going on to the running back usage as well. Edmonds actually led up until like the last two drives in garbage time. So maybe those stats are a little bit skewed. Um, he was definitely being used more, but he's still, we're not seeing the you know the goal line usage that we would hope for for like more ceiling. Uh, so I that backfield is still pretty questionable in terms of like what who's going to get the high you know high level touches each week. Um, admins may have led during that early portion of the game, but neither one kind of displayed a big enough difference from the other to you know root for that twenty five plus point ceiling.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'm a donkey, and I played. Uh, I played Edmonds even after we talked about it last week with neither of them having <laughs> a bunch of upside. Uh, but yeah, I think it still holds true in this spot. Uh, and then, yeah, with, I, I think you guys are spot on with the the wide receiver usage uh, and shout out to, I believe it was Larejo with the willing to lose column. He had uh, mentioned Christian Kirk in this spot, which um yeah, like you said, Jess, he was getting the higher upside looks. And that's gonna, you know, he's obviously not gonna pop off like that every week, but he is gonna have spots where that happens. And then, you know, I think this could be a spot too where the field uh looks at Hopkins' performance and kind of like really locks in on him as like, oh, he's back this year, or you know, however people might spin that. But uh even looking at his route tree, it still wasn't totally different. Uh, you know, there's a little higher upside than some of what he was running last year, but um, I don't think anything that really kind of like jumped off the page to, to make it um, him like a, a big, like, we should really be focusing on him. Jess,
0: you mentioned his route tree. I haven't looked at it yet. I meant to pull that up on next gen stats. Did they move him off the left side at all? Or was he strictly on the left side again?
1: I'm almost positive. He was strictly on the left.
0: So he's gonna see Peterson because Peterson was lining up on the right. That'll be a good matchup.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at his route tree now. Every single one of his targets came when he started on the left side.
1: Yeah. So that's yeah, good call there. That's that's interesting in this spot. Um yeah, and then I think Rondale Moore got what, like uh he was like a halftime player or a third, third of the snaps or something like that.
0: Yeah. He ran 14 routes to, uh, Kirk's 22. So he's still behind Kirk a little bit, but he, I mean, he's still got five targets. He got the same amount of targets as Kirk.
1: Yeah. He strikes me as kind of guy where he might not get, you know, a ton or a big majority of the snaps, but when they're, when he's in there, they're going to probably scheme him looks. And so he'll have a couple of chances every game and kind of just depend on, you know, if he hits them or not. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else we missed talking about this game? I feel like we hit a handful of angles here. Good. All right. With that, let's move on to Tennessee. We were just talking about at Seattle. So Uh, With this game, there's likely going to be some pretty strong assumptions for what to expect out of these teams after week one, uh, in which the Tennessee offense flopped and the Seattle pass game crushed. Uh, Should we be buying that? And if not, why? So I guess let's start with the hyper-efficient Seattle offense uh, versus this Still not good Tennessee defense and back end, especially.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, Russ threw 23 passes, I think I wrote that that was like the fewest he's thrown since week nine or something of 2019. That was back when, you know, we weren't really playing Russ unless we really thought that the game script would get um, would put him in a situation where he had to throw a ton. Uh, and then he had those kind of seasons, half season when he was, you know, cooking. Um, but uh, if it's back to like that kind of situation, which Carroll has you know, wanted throughout Russell's entire career, then we're relying on the hyper efficiency, which limits his ceiling. It limits the chances he has in terms of games he can go off just because that's, that's not sustainable every week. Um, I think that I'm a little worried about that, but Tennessee's defense is obviously still horrendous on paper and vegas still expects tennessee to put up a lot of points in this game so even though the public perception after week one is probably that you know they were a disaster they couldn't score in arizona um at least vegas for right now is playing it as that they will you know be the kind of tennessee offense we expect to score more um which would obviously be good for russell wilson and the rest of the seahawks offense
0: yeah Yeah, and i kind of think They are going to try and they're trying to be balanced still. I mean, it's, you got Waldron coming from LA who they, they are a slow paced offense for the past few years under McVay and they're going to try and run as much as possible. So as long as Seattle can run, I think we're going to have to bet on Russ being efficient, which if they're successful in the run, how much does he have to pass? And I can see how that can bring down the passing numbers and kind of pull this game into a a lower than expected outcome.
1: This is where DFS gets hard because <laughs> volume is such an important thing for us when we're, we're really, we're looking at, um, upside and things like that. But, uh, you know, they could play at a so, slow pace and because of how Tennessee's like, they're just, their defense looks so bad. Like they could still produce even on a small amount, but then, you know, you're obviously wondering if that's uh ceiling enough, you know, turning winning score, Jess.
0: Uh, Well, we do have, so something I learned from JM was looking at time of possession. We do have two teams that only held the ball for a combined 50 minutes last week. So you got 10 more minutes of play as possible here. So there could be a little spike in volume between these two teams. Both of them only ran uh, as far as usable plays go. I only count actual passes and run attempts. Um, Tennessee ran 57 plays. Seattle ran 50. So you got you got room for the volume to come up a little bit on this one too.
2: Yeah. And I'll add, uh, I'm not going to use like a one game sample with Carson Wentz who typically holds the ball longer than everyone, um, as a game to, you know, view Seattle's pass rush as being back. Uh, they've been weak for years. Like I'm, I i do not think it's just been solved all of a sudden they've, They don't. They don't have anyone like Chandler Jones, who was basically the one-man, you know, wrecking ball versus Tennessee. So that's obviously an upgrade for Tennessee's offense, just to not have to deal with that. Because even if Tannehill has just more time to throw, Seattle has major question marks at cornerback right now and stuff. So I I do think there's better pass to Tennessee succeeding this week than they did last week, and that maybe the field will be playing it after watching last week, um, which is all to say that you know that's better for Seattle's offense as well.
1: Yeah. And that then creates, you know, if, if again, if we're playing the game that way, then that makes a really interesting scenario in that uh, if Seattle is going to get more attempts and they, you know, Russ gets a little bit more of a chance to cook, then it could be uh, quite a, a scoring environment.
2: Yeah. I was going to say too, I think if you're betting on this game environment, you almost have to bet on efficient scoring drives, a lot of touchdowns back and forth because both teams are going to aim to control the, you know, the game on the ground, either Henry or Carson. So, I think you basically have to expect a lot of scoring, you know, early on that keeps these teams aggressive and um in a passing mindset because if one team is in control, I think it's the same either way. It's one team is just going to be trying to bleed clock.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just because you had mentioned it, and a little bit in the last uh, game segment. The other kind of unknown, the variable here is does Tennessee, can, do they look at week one film and uh, really change up the way they're approaching offense? And obviously, we can't know that, but you would hope that you'd be able to see that and uh, make a shift from there.
0: Well, on defense, uh, Tennessee doesn't seem to have learned anything that. <laughs> Uh, zero blitz that <laughs> Bowen called was basically, he, they kind of said they were going to get away from a lot more of that man, zero blitz stuff. And he called it new caught a touchdown on him. A uh, couple other things I, I looked at during the, the summer was joint practices. So you've got Tennessee struggled, really struggled against Gronk, but I don't know, maybe that was just Gronk. So he came out week one on fire, but uh, you have a shot for Everett to maybe play a big role in this one um they got burnt for three touchdowns out of the slot so i i don't even know if they're gonna run a slot receiver out there i think last i saw d was hurt so maybe that's Everett again (laughs) lining up in the slot and disley in line so this could be a big game for everett if we're looking at individual players from this and then both running backs
2: yeah i think the the interesting the interesting part about this game is that both offenses set up pretty well. The defenses are just not well-equipped to defend either of these offenses. The problem is that both coaching staffs are, you know, want to control the game on the ground. So you're kind of battling that matchup versus, you know, what we expect the coaches to try and do.
1: Yeah. With that, uh, what do we think about Chris Carson? Uh, you know, he's got a good matchup with, you know, obviously against the, the Tennessee line, um, And what about his usage, you know, coach speak coming out of pre or like out of off season, but then also what that was in week one.
2: Yeah, I'll add his usage. If it continues to look more like last year versus 2019, he's just not a guy that's going to be in a lot of tournament winning rosters. He was getting upwards of 20 attempts in almost or more than half his games in 2019. And last year, I think he never even topped 16 or maybe he just did once. And then even in week one blowout, he still only had 16 attempts. Now, they ran not a lot of plays because of how efficient their passing game was. Um, but he's still, he's just not getting nearly as many touches as he used to in that role, um, which just kind of limits his ceiling. I think I, somewhere I wrote I that were as a favorite, he just, he never really produced big scores, um, just because he hasn't been getting as many touches as we would hope in that role. And his bigger games honestly might come when he's getting targeted in the passing game. Um, you know, in those situations where Seattle has to pass more anyway. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of my thoughts on at least Carson's usage for, as of, you know, how we're viewing it right now.
0: Yeah, I always have a hard time paying for Carson and DFS. He's just he seems like he's a guy that he, he you need the touchdowns to hit and you can't always bet on touchdowns. And 91 yards is only 9.1 points. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to get too many. Turns like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, to just kind of wrap up the specifics on the Seattle side of the ball, and then we'll move to a little bit more specific specifics with Tennessee. Uh, one of the interesting things I noticed with uh, looking at over your stuff, Lex was that, you know, Locker Metcalf, like pretty much a true coin flip for who's going to be the leading scorer. And even, even with that, there is still rarely a true must have score. Like obviously each of these guys just has like massive upside, but the way in that it actually happens, I feel like we, uh, kind of like focus on these games when they do roll that out, but there's so much space in between each of those. So, uh, yeah, any comments on, on that?
2: Um, not too many. I mean, I think it's like you said, you're there's sometimes there's little indicators on which it might be a better matchup for, but now we're also dealing with a new offensive coordinator, a slightly different, you know, offense. So the the routes and like the way they're being used isn't quite the same as it was before. Um, I think, like you said, they didn't have too many big scores. They, they had a couple that were have to have it, but I think even those ones were on the Sunday night football or something. They weren't even on the main slate. Um, but it depends on like your risk tolerance. Like it might just be negative. EV to try and figure out which one, you know, is the week that's going to, which one is going to have the week where he goes off. And then is that even going to be enough to win, you know, considering Seattle's pass, you know, pass volume. So I don't know. I, I don't really have too many thoughts other than that. The matchup at least sets up, you know, really well for them, Tennessee, if they're playing, you know, man coverage, like Jess was saying, I mean, they have no one that can keep up with either of those guys. Uh, but yeah, you're still betting on, you know, one of them to have that score. And it's not always obvious which one that will be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like I usually tend, I haven't looked at pricing yet this week, so I don't know how expensive either of them are, but I kind of like to play them when they, maybe they're coming off of a couple of, of low weeks and their price starts to come down a little bit. So when, when the price is moving down, I'm more interested. I'll have to look and see what it looks like this week.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's almost like a, Um, Just like a pricing and ownership play, really just more of a a game theory approach rather than trying to pick the guy. And then the other my other thought was like, I mean, it's one thing if you're multi entering, but, you know, if you're a a single entry guy or three max, it's just you probably negative EV to uh, like be trying to (laughs) nail that down.
2: Yeah. And if you want to play them, you probably just want to bet on that game environment, or, right? You know, with a Tennessee player involved, because it's unlikely they're getting enough volume to be, you know, on a tournament winning roster, unless Tennessee's putting up enough points to make it, you know, to give Seattle enough reason to pass that much.
1: Yeah. All right. So talking about that passing game, let's flip it to the other side of the ball where neither AJB or Julio were able to produce in week one, obviously the offense failed as a whole, but, uh, what do we think there, based on that and, uh, Seattle versus wide receiver?
2: I mean, their cornerbacks are, like I said before on paper, still kind of a disaster, um, or at least big question marks, um, Brown and Julio pose much bigger problems than Pascal Pittman and Campbell. Um, if they can't generate as much pressure as they were able to on, you know, Wentz and the Colts, That also leaves them more susceptible to those big plays. Hopefully, you know, we can only hope that Tennessee will game plan better, but definitely Todd Downing, you know, after week one, considering his only other year as a OC, like all that history is not, not giving us a lot of hope for that offense in terms of how well it's going to be, um, designed each week, but the matchup is great. So it's, you're kind of betting on, I think, like we said, you're betting on game environment. You're betting on Tennessee being able to protect Tannehill better and maybe one of those guys being able to take advantage of how weak Seattle's cornerbacks are.
0: Yeah. And I wonder how healthy Julio is. He wasn't getting separation. Like I was reading, he only had a 2.16 yards of separation, which is less than the 2.87 yards of separation in week one, uh, he tipped a pass into an interception, uh, neither he or AJ Brown were targeted until about 20 minutes into the game. Tennessee play calling was bad. They they ran on every first down for the entire first quarter for a net <laughs> of minus 2 yards. <laughs> they had uh total yards wise at the end of the first quarter minus 1. Mm-hmm. So they were digging a hole too. They they weren't able to to really get their big dog out and running because they were they just were getting stuffed. They were predictable.
1: Yeah, so with that, why don't we talk about that because uh Lex reading through your matchup notes, uh, the, the low, uh, DK scores for running backs in Seattle, uh, problematic. And yeah, after what happened last week, are we, (laughs) are we wanting to, uh, look at Henry here or does that feel like a, a trap?
2: I don't know if it's a trap. I just think that the reason the history has been so poor is Seattle's a really, a really good home team. They've, you know, one of the strongest home field advantages in football, which often leads to them being able to control the game more. Uh, so the only running backs that have really had success there have been the ones that got like, I think 28 or more touches or were used heavily in the past game like Camara. So I think if you're playing Henry, it's not like it's not viable. I mean, Henry could still put up one of those huge scores. Tennessee just dominates possession and controls the game on the ground. Um, it's it's not like impossible or anything. Clearly that's what Tennessee wants to do. Like Jess was just saying, they ran on every first down. Um, you're just, you're betting in a, you know, not a great matchup. Seattle has been typically much better against the run in the past last couple of years. And you're also betting in a situation where he's an underdog. We expect Seattle's offense to be at least efficient enough to probably have a lead. Um, and then not only that Tennessee's matchup does set up better to the air. Um, so I think it just, you know, depends maybe on ownership and things like that. Um, but it's definitely not an ideal situation if you were looking to play Henry.
0: Yeah, I think he's more of a, a leverage play in this game if you're going to play him. And I don't think it's it's going to work out too well anyway. But uh, you got the Colts in their offensive line couldn't move the ball with Jonathan Taylor on the ground. I, I can't expect unless Tennessee's offensive line is just so embarrassed they open a can in this game. I I don't see how they get him going.
1: Yep. I think the, I think that kind of wraps it up. Any, any final thoughts on this game game environment, how we're approaching it? Are we good? I think
2: I'm good. Yeah, I'm good.
1: Cool. All right. Two down one to go new Orleans at Carolina. So obviously these teams both had interesting week one performances. And so we're going to be looking at like, what should we expect from them in week two? And let's look at the, the defenses and the offensive players that have a chance to produce games that we are actually excited to roster. Uh, So let's talk about new Orleans first, uh obviously <laughs> big first game against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Can we keep expecting this? And uh what does that look like with some people out of this game as well?
2: Yeah, if you want me to start, I think they're gonna be a little bit of overreacting to that kind of performance, you know, in week one. Uh the Saints are now missing three high impact starters in Lattimore, Onamada, and Davenport. They are gonna be starting a cornerback who's been with them for a week. And, you know, they're starting another cornerback that they just picked up off the street like a oh, two weeks ago. So Dennis Allen's defense requires a lot of communication and which is why early in seasons last couple of years, I think I said last year, last week, they've had a lot of problems in the opening weeks of the season in terms of just blowing coverages. So I I think having those new corners in there and everyone expecting them to have another, you know, dominant performance against like Sam Darnold after they just did that to Aaron Rodgers is going to be interesting to follow just because I think that all those things, I think we're, we don't want to, you know, overreact to that one game sample size, especially when they're now missing some of their best players. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Like we, we just, we know so little after one week, you know, um, I'm still of the opinion that they're, not going to be nearly as good as last year, even how, how they looked last week, um, but they still have talent at some big positions, even losing those guys. But it's definitely a little bit more questionable, you know, now than even last week.
0: When you got their coaches getting COVID now too. So got all the remote yeah. meetings going on. Yeah. The, this one will be interesting. Like I, I don't really see how Carolina has a shot against a defense that played like that against green Bay, but it just kind of gives you that idea. Well, you know, nobody's going to be on Carolina, so you can use some of their guys.
1: Yeah. And I, I didn't see any of that game, but you also have to wonder too, if there's a little bit of, you know, the Aaron Rogers situation bleeding into how that offense came into that game. Um, but I, you know, Darnold looked decent with his pass catchers. Uh, he's still Sam Darnold, which is, you know, a little bit of a mystery. <laughs> um, but obviously very capable pass catchers in DJ Moore. Uh, hooked up for a big touchdown with his old guy, Robbie Anderson. And then of course we have CMC coming out of the backfield. So yeah, I mean, I think the question is uh even if we get a um you know, a middling too strong effort out of the New Orleans defense, what does that look like uh, with Sam Darnold and his offense on the other side?
2: I think um, DJ Moore is definitely interesting. Just he's had a lot of success against New Orleans the last couple of years. They're now down Lattimore. Like I was saying, uh, last year Brady schemed up the guys pretty well. Like they just kept getting open on short to intermediate routes just over the middle. Um, so th- th- he's definitely interesting to me with their questions, with maybe an overreaction to the defense. And he's being used in a better role this year, in, like racking up catches in week one. And then as far as CMC, he hasn't really had that half to have it score versus New Orleans. Like as we were pointing out last week, like almost no one has over the last few years. Um, but he's been really inefficient on the ground versus New Orleans. But he, because of that, he's been targeted. I think he has five games of eight plus targets and like seven games versus Saints. So he's getting targeted crazy, crazy highly in the air. And he's been really successful with it, which is why he's able to keep putting up, you know, Solid scores versus Saints. He's just not reaching that ceiling that we would like at his price.
0: Right, and I agree with that. I mean, you're going to get CMC. Most of his action is going to come through the passing game. Um, my concern is Roby. How much he he's uh, assimilated to the defense? That could be, you know, the scheme errors and stuff like that. So maybe there's some room for DJ Moore to show up. You know, another Robbie Anderson, and then. The Saints, what Green Bay was able to do was pass on them to their slot receivers, so whoever was lining up in the slot was having the most success. You got uh, Terrace Marshall had half of the the reds or the end zone shots from Darnold, so maybe he catches both of them this time catches a couple of touchdowns.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch that play out. It's just a matter of, (laughs) are we going to try to pull the trigger on any of that, which kind of depends on uh, the other side of the ball as well. And uh, we got Jameis Kamara and their offense going up against this Carolina defense Uh, (laughs) Jameis, ridiculously efficient uh, against that Packers defense. Uh, Lex, I'm going to throw it right back to you here. Uh, What are you thinking?
2: As far as Jameis goes, I mean, I think that New Orleans offensive line is much more equipped to block the pass rush, you know, of Carolina than the Jets were. They just kept, especially after Beckton went down, they just kept picking on that tackle. Um, Brian Burns is really talented, but the Saints are, I mean, they have the best tackle duo in football. I think their communication is going to be a little interesting because McCoy was taking on offensive line calls this year. And as, like with Breeze retiring, because Breeze used to do all that. So that'll be interesting if they have any, you know, on those, any kind of blitz packages or things like that, where they're not reading reading that as well. It could be interesting. It could set up for some, you know, big plays or sacks that kill drives. Um, but they still have an elite line. I don't think Carolina is going to generate nearly the same amount of pressure as they did against the Jets. Um, and then I think the defense for Carolina has actually been much better than people have expected going into like last season. Snow's done a pretty good job of limiting, like, big QB games. Um, I think only a few even passed for over 300 yards. I think Jameis will definitely pass more. Um, 20 attempts is, not only is that an outlier, but it's a massive outlier for even the Saints. I think Breeze was only under 30, like, a few times over the last few years, and that was with them trying to limit Breeze's attempts on top of it. So I would expect a much bigger volume for the Saints through the air. Um, I don't have too much. I mean, we're still... He's still not, he doesn't have targets that you necessarily want to go after right now. I mean, we, everyone likes Callaway, but last week, Troutman was the most heavily targeted. Camara still got his targets. I mean, Juwan Johnson was like the third most targeted player. You're dealing with a Saints offense that for years under Peyton, you know, splits it around outside of having, you know, the four years or five years of Michael Thomas. So it's tough to trust one of his passing game weapons, like in any kind of stack. Um, and I don't think the matchup is like great for Jameis, but I don't think Carolina will look quite as good as it did against the Jets either.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Like, especially with Callaway, like that, that stinker might give people a bad taste in his mouth. So maybe he's kind of a sneaky play this week. I don't know. I doubt I'm going to do anything as far as stacking goes. If I play a piece from this game, I'll bring it back with somebody. So I'll probably do like CMC and Callaway if I do anything with this game. Uh, and nothing else really jumps out. I kind of want to play DJ DJ more, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think this one. I think Vegas got this one right with that forty-four point total. I think this is probably <laughs> going to be low game, low volume all the way around. So you're just betting on a broken play or something.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. And Callaway too. He he had success against Carolina last year. He kept getting open against their zone. But I think you wrote in the defensive strategies they're trying to play more man this year with JC Horn and AJ Buya in there. So maybe it's not as good of a matchup for Callaway as he performed in last year. Um, but he definitely, I'm sure his targets are going to go up when he's not, you know, running into Jair Alexander and the Packers fast defense every week.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest question here is do these guys have ceiling and, you know, from what we've explored here, uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of betting on the outlier scenario, for that to happen, uh, before we close this one out, any, just because we didn't specifically talk about him, uh, any thoughts on Kamara, his usage after week one, how he sets up in this spot.
0: Uh,
2: I think you definitely will expect more targets in the future and less rushes. That was his second highest rush attempt total in a game in his entire career. Uh, Carolina allowed I think it was like the third most running back receptions in 2020, uh, AKA his score versus Carolina and his one matchup versus them last year would have looked a lot different if he had been the one to get any of their short area touchdowns. I think all three inside the five went through breeze. So he definitely has a ceiling. He's been over 90 yards in every single game, um, without Thomas and whether when he's had breeze and Jameis since last year. So, it's more always about, is he going to turn the, is he going to be hyper-efficient because he's never going to get some, the amount of touches that some of those other guys get. So you're either betting on him being scoring a lot of touchdowns or New Orleans falling behind and needing to just chuck it to him all game.
0: Yeah. I think in the closer game, maybe he does have more opportunity for targets when you're winning the game like New Orleans did, they're not going to keep throwing to Camara. To they're going to try and run the ball and run out the clock. So they, he, he definitely stands to have a better game this week, especially against Carolina, whose secondary is more prone to taking away the outside guys and letting you throw it underneath tight ends and running backs and such.
1: All right. I think that's a a wrap for that game. The only other thing I would add is just kind of back to the other running back. It kind of blew my mind last week that, I mean, it shouldn't have, but, the fact that CMC had was like 26 points or something like that without a touchdown. Like, I mean, you know, dude is putting up receiving lines like his floor is just so solid. And so, you know, any week really that he can get into the end zone once or twice, you know, he's always viable. You just kind of have to pick and choose how you're going to throw him in there.
2: Yeah. And I'll say going back to Camara, he's kind of the opposite of every other expensive running back in terms of Game script that you want. If you expect the Saints to control the game, that's usually when you don't want to play Camara. Whereas that's when you would want to play Henry and Dalvin and guys like that. So it's definitely just you have to keep that in mind when thinking about Camara. He's just such a unique uh, player. Yep. Absolutely.
1: All right. Well, that is a wrap for that game, and that is going to finish us up for week two. Everybody had it is uh, week two first peak podcast, and we're excited to talk to you guys throughout the week here. Uh, feel free to hit me up in discord at Bfritz 12 for Lex for Jess. This has been, and this has been the OWS first peak podcast. See y'all in dis- discord and at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.